We are in the fourth week of a series that uh, I've called Don't Believe It. We're taking on some of the untruths that have a way of sinking into our consciousness and our minds and our spirits and getting in the way of us being our best selves as we seek to be faithful to God in the world. On last week, I talked about one of those untruths, which essentially I'll summarize this way. There's this thinking that somehow that you and I ought to be able to develop enough faith that it inoculates us from some of the most horrific pains and tragedies in the world. Somebody shout, don't believe it! Don't believe it. If you missed that message, go to our website, nbccbearer.com, make sure you get it. This week, I want to pick up another notion that a lot of us carry, and it is, here's how I'm going to frame it. You're probably familiar with it. I don't need anyone's help. Have you heard that before? What you say it with me? Say, I don't need anyone's help. Tell the person next to you, don't believe it, don't believe it, don't believe it, don't, don't you dare believe it. We say that in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it is, it comes out, I don't need anyone's help. Sometimes it comes out, I can do it all by myself. Sometimes it comes out, I got this. And everybody around you knows you don't have it. <laughs> Matter of fact, the first point I want to throw up is simply this. That oftentimes when we are saying, I don't need anyone's help, beneath that is another statement that we're making. It is, I don't need anyone. Or perhaps it's this statement, just saying a different way. I don't trust anyone. Now, there's a variety of ways in which we say these things, but more often than not, the primary way in which we say, I don't need anyone's help, is through our actions, right? It is the extraordinarily capable CEO or boss, a team lead, either at work, or maybe even here at church, who does not have the capacity to delegate. It's your way of saying, I don't need anyone's help. Or it's that student, that bright and brilliant student who uh, zooms through most of his or her classes, except for every now and then they may run up on a problem or a challenge in math or science that is too complicated for them to work through, and yet they still will not go to their professor's office and ask for help. Or it's that colleague that you know so well. She is always ready to help and to serve you, but she or he never asks for anyone to help them. Or perhaps it's the spouse whose marriage is falling apart or the addict whose life is falling apart and neither of them have the capacity to cry out for help, to go see a therapist, to get into a program and some of them are you sitting right here. 
The mantra within you is, uh, I got this. I can fix this. I can figure this out. And I think God is saying to somebody here today, perhaps listening by video, there are some things in your life that you will not be able to figure out by yourself. There are some things in life that you will not be able to fix on your own. There are some things and some challenges that you will need others, shout others, to help you. As much as you want to believe, you can't make it through this life by yourself. So say to the person next to you, just, just pick somebody on the right or left and say, I need you. See, that was hard to say, wasn't it? It was so hard. I could feel it in the building. I could feel it in the building. Now pick somebody else. Turn to somebody else and say, hey, you need me. That's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. It's hard. We're, we're in the West. We've been told we don't need nobody. How does this happen? How does this psyche come upon us? Well, uh, one of the ways it happens is that oftentimes it is the byproduct of broken relationships and broken trust in our past. Let me walk through it by talking about Job. You know, we've been looking at Job and his friends for the last couple of weeks. And for those of you maybe just joining us for the first time, let me recap quickly. First, two chapters of Job tells us that Job starts off being a wealthy extremely successful, great man of faith. And out of nowhere, calamity upon calamity strikes him. He loses all 10 of his kids to death. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. He's hanging on merely by a thread. And then from chapter 4 to chapter 31 roughly, we're told about these three friends that come and they really are his friends. They really do love him. They have come to be of help to him. They sit with him. They weep with him. The problem is they then try to help him find some healing by speaking out of their uh, misconceived worldview that essentially says, Job, if all this is happening to you, you must have done something wrong. You know, in other words, Job, it's your fault that all this is happening to you. Job, you know, in other words, you're the victim, but the victim is the source of his or her own victimization. Now, as quiet as it kept, and, 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 and we don't often talk about it, the fact of the matter is, some of us have heard this in the church. That's why some people back away from the church, because some person who really is trying to help you wounds you. By talking about stuff they don't know what they're talking about. Do you know that people can deeply love you and wound you at the same time? Yeah. I told them earlier today, I, uh, I saw a movie years ago, this, this, um, uh, this cyborg guy that they had built, supposed to be the, the perfect lover. And he was in this relationship with this woman, and he just went crazy and started killing everybody around her. So at the end of the movie, he says, I love you. And she shoots him and says, stop loving me. 
So let me hasten to say, number one, I'm not advocating violence. Don't you dare walk out of here and shoot somebody and say, well, the pastor said. <laughs> My point is, sometimes with the best intentions we can love is very unhealthy and destructive ways. That's the kind of thing that causes people to step back. It's the kind of thing that crushes our ability to trust and makes us say, hey, I'll just do it on my own. We see this in Job's life. Let me just walk you through some of the challenges that his, his friends were saying, trying to help him in the name of love. You know that Job was a successful businessman. And watch what they say uh, in chapter 5, uh, verse 3. Here's what, they, here's what they say to him. I've seen that fools may be successful for a moment, then comes sudden disaster. In other words, Job, yes, you were successful, but this sudden disaster means there must be something hidden in your life. He lost all 10 of his kids. And here's what they say in chapter 8, uh, verse 3. Here's what they say. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well deserved. Can you imagine somebody saying such a thing? And yet people do say such things. I want to point out very clearly, Job, it's your, it's your, it has to be your sin. And so in chapter 22, uh, 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 we find these words, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read this with my emphasis, all right? So it says, is it because you're so pious, righteous, that he, meaning God, accuses you and brings judgment against you? No. It's because of your wickedness, Job. There's no limit to your sin. Man, why don't you just give it? For example, listen, they're going to make up things. I don't know what you did, but you did something, right? For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water from the thirsty and the food from the home. Yeah, that's what it is. I know it was something. With every argument, they're shattering his ability to trust them. They're driving a wedge between him and them. And they make Job a prime candidate to say, I don't need anybody's help. Because at the end of the day, he can't trust him. Chapter 6, verse 15, he actually says it. He, he, he actually says uh, that, 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 that basically... Uh, I can't trust you anymore. I wonder if there's anybody here who's had stuff explode in your life from people that you love, from people who are close to you. I wonder if there's anybody here who has concluded because some sibling or some boyfriend or some spouse has dogged you out, some colleague, some boss that you have backed yourself up in the corner and you've decided that because three people have hurt you, surely the rest of the seven billion people in the world must be like them. And so you say, I don't need anyone's help. And yet, the Bible teaches us that God makes us to be interdependent. Everybody shout, interdependent. interdependent. Paul teaches a wonderful text in chapter 6 of Galatians, uh, verse 2. Here's what he says. He says, he says, share 
each other's burden. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And in that he means the law of Christ that says, love ye one another. The writer of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4 puts it this way. He says, talking about how we're meant to, to work together, to be together, to be interdependent. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real shout trouble. Some of us in trouble and we don't even know it. Because we're trying to do this thing by ourselves. So scripture teaches us. Listen, there ought to be three movements in our maturing process. I remember my kids, both of them, at different points. There's 14 years between my son and my daughter. But both of them, when they were babies, I got great pleasure just holding them in one hand. And then in that state, they were completely dependent upon daddy. But then, of course, my son being the oldest, he's the first. I remember, he's about 10, 11 years old. He had done something wonderful. And I decided to treat him by taking him to McDonald's. Y'all don't see McDonald's as a treat anymore. <laughs> it was a treat in my day. Come on now. <laughs> and so I took him there and I said, boy, get, get what, you, what, what do you want? He says, well, I want, I want, a, I want, I want a Big Mac and, 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 uh, and, a, and a big soda. And uh, I said, good. And he said, oh, can I have some fries? I said, all right. He said, and, and, and oh, oh my, what, my daddy, can I have that, that McFluffy or that ice cream thing? I said, okay. And he said, oh, oh, daddy, daddy, yeah. And, and they had the little toys. And he said, can, can I get two of those little toys? And I looked at him. I said, boy, you need to get a job. <laughs> I can't tell you how elated I was. Come on now, at about 15 or 16 years old, he got his first job. I helped him get a job, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> so we move from dependence to independence. Sound independence. That's an appropriate move. But then if we keep maturing, God would have us that we would end up in interdependency. The transaction nature of the economy and the world in which we're in, the, the collaborative nature of the world in which we live, all reinforces the fact that God has designed us to be interdependent. He's designed us, and that's the heart of community. That's the heart of family. That's, that's the heart of a good team at work that, that works really well together. This notion that I need you, and you need me. Let me illustrate. Yesterday, I went shopping, and I ended up at Walmart looking for a puzzle. And I got this 45-piece puzzle and took it home. And it's tearing up on me, but I got it. Come on now, work for me. Here we go. Wait a minute. Here we go. I got it. Thank you. I got this 45-piece puzzle, took it to my daughter, who's a master at arts and craft. I say, put the thing together. Too complicated for me, 45 pieces. <laughs> put some glue on the back of it, put it on this thing, and I'm going to bring it to the display. 
because I wanted to teach you about how God shapes us to be interdependency, why it's at the heart of good family life, good community life, good church life, why Jesus says, uh, and the scripture says 59 times in one way or the other, love one another. Shout, another! Another. another. When I look at this, this, this puzzle piece, I think about you. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about you, not me, but you. <laughs> when I look at this puzzle piece, I think about me. The first thing that comes to mind as I look at this puzzle piece is that it has holes in it. You see the holes? See, the reality is you have holes in your life. I've got holes in my life. Tell the person next to you, did you know you have holes in your life? The holes represents the places where we are inadequate. Come on now. The, the holes represent the places of our flaws and our weakness. As a matter of fact, uh, I just said I have a hole and you have a hole together. We all have holes. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all got some holes in our lives. We spend most of our time covering up the holes. Because we feel like the holes reveals our vulnerability. And in fact, a hole does reveal our vulnerability. But the very same holes also reveals our value. Value. Somebody shout value. See, See, because I've got some holes, some inadequate places, it makes me need a team. So if I didn't have any inadequate places, if I could do it all, y'all, come on now. I'd preach, and then I'd get over there and play the music. <laughs> then I'd lead the worry, praise, and worship team. Come on now. I, I, I'd rush get work early in the morning. I'd do all the administrative work. Come on. Uh, and all of that. But thanks be to God, I've got some holes. It means I need a team. Because where my holes are, that's where somebody else is able to shine. I always talk about Pastor Tilden and I with such great colleagues and such great partners because I'm big picture, abstract, big vision. Pastor Tilden is, is details, logistics. And when you, when you work it together because, because where I have a hole, he has a strength. Where, 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 where you have a hole, somebody else has a strength. And if you can get beyond this notion, I'll, I don't need anybody to help me, then you can discover, come on now, the power of this piece, number one, is it's relatable. Shout relatable. In other words, it can, it, it can dialogue with all the other pieces because they all got holes. Come on. Uh, number two, it's, it, the holes make it relational. Shout relational. Relation. In other words, the reason why we fit in certain places, come on now, is because because, uh, our holes, on the other end, there's somebody that has a strength for every weakness. And so when you put this together, look at it. This is how it works right here. You put, thank God for holes because they create a place for all of us to fit. (laughs) Unless you cover your holes. Jesus has made us to be inter, 
dependent. Lastly, as I back into this last point, well, okay, so you say, I acknowledge it, you say, I have trust issues, you have trust issues, we have trust issues. How might God help me with my trust issues? I love how y'all ask your questions because it allows us to back into what for me on the surface is a strange text. Verse 7 of chapter 42, uh, you, you, think, you think God's about to straighten out these fellas. You know, you think he, and in fact, he is going to straighten them out, but, but, but not the way you think he is. Verse 7, he says, look, uh, you guys, Eliphaz and your friends, you've made me angry because you've spoken what you said about me is not accurate as Job has discussed. Watch it. So now you're waiting for the thunder and lightning. Because they said some pretty mean things. Watch this. An unusual text. Uh, there's a tradition behind it. Verse 8 and 9. So watch what he says to them. So, so take seven bulls and seven rams. Seven represents complete. And go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Job, he's just put in the priest position. There's no mention of priest before this context. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. And I will not, his, so grace, I will not treat you as you deserve. For you have not, let me remind you again, you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant. So sometimes in this story, I want to suggest to you, we are all in the shoes of Job's friends. Why would God say go to him? Well, if Job is the priest, watch this. If Job is the priest, they go to him with the bulls to make the sacrifice. But it also requires that they make a confession. The confession is, here's Job. Here's how we messed over you. Here's how we got it wrong. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? The way I frame it is, uh, they have to process through their mistakes and own their stuff. Somebody say, get ready, get ready. Watch this now, because I got to go somewhere. Here it is. I got to go back to the puzzle. Watch, watch, watch this. Watch this, watch this. Watch this. This puzzle piece is the right puzzle piece for this puzzle. This place right here, where I put it, it's the right place. You and I know it fits. Does it fit? Yeah. However, if I turn it and try to put it in, it won't. If I turn it this way and try to put it in, it won't. Is it the wrong place? No. Is it the wrong piece? No. Does it not fit? Yes, it fits. What's the problem? The alignment is off. Let's see, can I help you? Let's see, can I help you? Let's, 
let's see, let's see, 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 wait, 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 wait. Somebody, come on now. You got a job and 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 and, and you thought it was your dream job, but but now you're on the job and stuff's gone wrong and it's all around you, and you're thinking, you know, I don't fit. Come on now. I'm, I'm in the wrong place. No, baby, come on now. It's the right job, but the alignment of your heart is off. That's that's why you're not fitting. Come on. Yes. She is the one. Yes, he is the one. You made the right choice getting married. But the problem is the alignment of your heart is off. Yes, you ought to be raising that child. But the challenge is your your heart's alignment is off. Oh, my God. Yes, that career you should be pursuing. You are at the threshold of your purpose. You're about to cross over in your destiny. But there's a blockage. What's the block? It's not God. What's the block? It's not the devil. What's the block? The alignment of your heart is wrong. Come on now. Why? Because, because, because you have not, watch this, processed through your past pain. Come on now. Nor assumed your responsibility. Therefore, you haven't grown your heart. Watch it. Your heart is hard when it ought to be sensitive. You are self-centered when you ought to be other people focused. Come on now. Uh, 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 you are angry when you ought to be full of love. Uh, you are controlling when you ought to be free. Why? Because you haven't worked through your stuff. All right, here's what I mean. I meet people every day. They tell me, I thought it was a dream job. But, shout but. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. I meet people every day who say, I thought he was the one. Shout but. It wasn't meant to be. Sometimes it was meant to be. Sometimes it was the right job. But you just keep replicating the same craziness from relationship to relationship, from job to job. It's not the job. It's not him. It's not her. Come on. And what God said to Joe's friends, I do want to straighten you out. Come on now. I want to put you on a path for a good future. I'm not going to beat you with lightning. I, I, I know you thought you were trying to be loving, but, but I need you to go to Job. I need you to own your stuff. I need you to be honest about where you missed it so that down the road, when you run into another Job, you'll know how to handle it. Come on. You'll know how to talk. You'll know what questions to ask. You'll know how to be humble in his presence. And that's how I straighten you out for your destiny. Because when you confess your stuff and own it, then you grow through it. And you got the lesson to apply forward. Y'all listening to me? Some of y'all, you're at the right place. You're the right piece. You just got to get your alignment right. Because when the alignment get right, then you're going to have a perfect fit. Give God a hand praise. You know that's... Some of us in, sometimes, me, I'm in Job's friend's shoes. I need to get the alignment right. 
sometimes you and me, we're in Job's shoes. Notice what he says in verse 10. That's a strange verse. So Job, I'm going to set you up as a priest. I want you to, I want you to oversee the, the process of forgiveness. Why? He says, matter of fact, I want you to pray for them. And I'm going, I'm going to bless them through your prayers. Watch it. Job saying, what? Pray for them? Did you not hear what they said about my children? They said, my children deserve to die. God, will you sleep? Pray for them? They shouted my heart. Pray for them. You're going to bless them through my prayers. Where's the lightning bolt? Where's the wrath? And he whispers to Joe, Joe, I'm not treating them as they deserve. I hear some gospel in the background. And neither am I treating you as you deserve. And I, watch this, I, I, I'm fixing two challenges at the same time because I'm God, I know how to multitask. <laughs> I'm going to set them free so they can walk across the threshold into their destiny. But until you forgive them, it's going to stop you from walking across the threshold in your destiny. And, and I'm waiting to bless you two times better than you've ever been blessed before. I, I, I'm waiting to take you some places you've never been before. But what's stopping you, what's holding you down, what's, what's going to stand in the way is your inability to forgive. So Job, yes, pray for them. Watch it. Because as you pray for them, I'll work on your heart. Because your alignment needs to be readjusted too. Some of you can't go forward because unforgiveness is standing in the way. It's keeping you replicating this disposition of I can't trust anybody. Whew. I said practice forgiveness. Watch this. Shout with humility. Why? I've been pastoring for 30 years all over the country. And I found this to be true. The people who have the hardest time forgiving are the ones who don't have humility. They have no, watch this, empathy for the holes in the person's life who hurt them. And they have no perspective of how they have hurt others. So they conclude that I'm so much better than you. But then it takes the gospel to level the playing field. Because when he says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Oh, that just makes me think of the son of God, Jesus, who became flesh and came among us. Why? And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father. And Paul says we are saved by grace. Come on now. Not through anything that we do, but through his. So what are you saying? Uh, at, at the end of the day, watch it. Uh, he says, he, he says it's, it's your sin. This is, what's the hard, this is what makes Christianity work, if you get it. It's your sin that put Jesus on the cross. But he says to you, don't worry. I died for you because you're worth it. And I'm not going to let your hoes get in the way of my purpose. Come on now. Uh, and, and, so, and, so, and so when we get that in our spirits, 
that we're all filthy rags before God. We can have humility. We can see the holes in other people's lives. And we start praying that God fill those holes. And as we pray for that, he sets us free for our own destiny. Give God a hand, praise. That's it.